Dr. Gregory Dale is the Director of Sports Psychology and Leadership Programs for Duke Athletics. He is also a Professor of Sports Psychology and Sports Ethics at Duke. Dr. Dale also works with Duke athletes and coaches, professional athletes, including Olympians, focusing on the mental part of their sports. He has also written multiple books about leadership, performance, and parenting, with another on the way in 2021. Dr. Dale, we extend a warm welcome to you. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thanks for having me, boys. So early in your childhood, were you involved in sports? Yeah, I was. I, I grew up in Texas and, and Alaska. That's where I spent my childhood in those two places. And when I was in Texas, I you know played baseball and football. And um, when I was in Alaska, I learned how to ice skate and played uh, ice hockey up, up there in Alaska. So very much involved in sports. Wow. And ice hockey must have been really competitive in Alaska. But what were some of your dreams while you were growing up? Yeah. So, yeah, well, like most kids, I thought I was going to be a professional baseball player. And uh, even when I was playing hockey, I remember being out there late at night and no one else was around. And I was practicing out there on the ice by myself. I had these dreams of being a professional hockey player. But I soon found out that, you know, that probably wasn't going to happen. But I always dreamed of being involved in athletics somehow. And skipping ahead a few years, tell us about your college experience and what made you choose to go to Stephen F. Austin University. Yeah, so being from Texas, I finished high school there, and I wanted to go to Stephen F. Austin State University uh, to play baseball, but they um, let go, or they, the program got canceled, and then they brought it back later. But um, And I, they, I went there because they had a really good school for education, I thought I was going to be a teacher and a coach in high school and maybe a high school athletic director or something. But I went there because I really thought that it was a good school for uh, to become a teacher. And after you graduated, how did you eventually end up at Duke University? Yeah, so I went on to Columbia up in New York and lived in New York City for seven years and taught and coached at an all-boys school there. Then I went back to Texas and and taught and coached uh, at the middle school and high school level there, and then went on to do my PhD, and then uh, taught at another place for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, I wrote uh, a guy who was the associate athletic director and wrote him and tell him how awesome I was and how much I could help his athletes, and he was nice enough to write back and say thanks, but no thanks. But eventually they hired, they wanted to hire someone that did what I did, and uh, they thought of me and um, my, my father-in-law happened to work at Duke at the time as well, um, when they were thinking about it. So it was a great fit for me. In the intro, we mentioned that you are a sports psychologist. For our listeners, can you explain what that field is? Yeah, so it's a field that, that really helps athletes focus on developing their mental game, just like they work on their physical game. You know, athletes spend a lot of time lifting weights, the ones that are really committed, they eat right, they um, do extra work, they work on their skills, but sometimes their mind gets in the way of allowing them to just do what they've trained themselves to do. And the higher you go in a sport, so the further along you go, the more important the mental part of it is because everyone is really good physical, physically. So 
when you get to be in the college ranks or certainly in the professional ranks of Olympics, everybody is really, really talented. And so working on your mental game can make a difference for you and help give you an edge. Yeah. So what does your job entail on a daily basis? Yeah, that's a great question. So what I do is I work with our athletes here at Duke. My office is in Cameron Door Stadium, and which is kind of centrally located for our athletes. And they will reach out via email or text, and I have an assistant who helps me with my schedule. But they will meet with me individually, either right now during COVID, they can meet virtually, or my office is big enough, they can come in here and we can stay uh, a good six to eight feet apart. We both wear a mask and I meet with them individually. I work with teams uh, at Duke as well um, and try to help the teams in terms of team dynamics and helping them work well together. And then I work with our captains. So I meet with our captains, all of our captains, and bring them together and try to help develop them in their leadership. And I, I, I work with our coaches too, kind of on the psychology of coaching. What's it been like training so many high-level athletes at both Duke University and the Olympics? Well, it's really rewarding when you work with someone and, uh, and they are able to go out and execute the things that you work on and you see them execute those, it's very rewarding because it, you feel like you're helping them achieve their goals and their dreams in some very small way. Uh, and so it's really rewarding to, say, to think that, that maybe you made a little bit of a difference for them and helped them achieve what they're trying to do. So do you think that being an athlete is as much as a physical game as a mental game? And can you expand on that? Yes. I think that, again, it's high, the higher you go, the more important the mental part of it is. Certain sports uh, are a little bit more mental than others. Like when I ask golfers, for instance, what percentage of your sport is mental, man, they'll say 90%. If I ask a basketball player, he might say 60%. Volleyball player might say 60, 70. Uh, and within positions like a quarterback, more mental than, say, uh, maybe a lineman perhaps at different times. But uh, the, the reality is everyone says it's at least 50% mental. And then my next question is, so if it's a 50% mental in your training for your sport, do you spend 50% of your time working on your mental game or do you spend 10% of your time working on your mental game? And many people don't do that. And so they kind of they kind of take it for granted or they think you either have mental toughness or you don't have mental toughness. Are you able to focus? or you can't focus? Are you able to deal with pressure or you can't deal with pressure? Or you're either confident or you're not. And the reality is there are skills that you can develop in all of those things to help you be better with each one of those on the mental part of it. That makes sense. And I'm thinking of an, an example right now, Derek Rose, when he tore his ACL in his left knee after his MVP season, and then he never came back to what he was. How do sports psychologists work with athletes on things like that? Yeah, so, I, you know, I don't know. I, I know the situation that you're talking about with Derek. I didn't talk to him individually. Yeah. I don't know his whole situation. But in general, when athletes have significant injuries like that, it's really hard because much of their identity um, is tied up into who they are as an athlete. So what I mean by that is they spend so much energy and so much time doing that they don't really have time to do much else until it really becomes a part of who they are. And when they don't get to do that, it's kind of like a part of them has been taken away. And so it's kind of devastating. It's really hard. It's part of you has kind of died for a while and gone away. 
And so it's really important that athletes work through those emotions of depression or anxiety or stress or uh, anger and those kinds of things. And they work through that so that they can get to the other side of that so they can work to try to get back and then have the confidence to be able to come back and believe that you're just as strong or stronger than you were before. But it's a long process. It's easier for some athletes than others, but it's very much a mental thing when you, when you get injured. For our listeners, can you explain what yips are and do you believe in them? Uh, I do believe in them. And yips are like in baseball, for instance, if you're a second baseman and you are able to throw the ball to first base with, with ease and it's not any problem at all, but something happens and you start overthinking it and you throw the ball, but you can't throw it accurately. You might throw it 10 feet in front of you. You might throw it way over his head or in golf, you have the yips and when you, uh, you can't execute your swing like you might normally do. And much of it comes, something might have happened. You maybe had a bad shot or something happened that caused you to start to overthink. But much of it is that you're overthinking and you're not trusting yourself anymore. And you're not just doing something that you can do without thinking about. It's kind of like walking. If you start to walk and you start to think about what you look like, and you start to overanalyze every step you take, you kind of can't walk very smoothly, and you might even trip because you're thinking about something that comes so natural to you. At what point do sports psychologists get involved in severe injuries? For example, Alex Smith when he had 20 surgeries and almost lost his leg. Yeah, wow, that was pretty pretty, pretty tough, huh? And how about that? He's, he's back playing now. and uh, Yeah, he just started it. Well. Yeah. yeah, right. How cool is that for him? So, yeah, it, it's, it's really uh, – I'm involved. I get involved when the athlete wants me to be involved. My, my style is not to say, hey, I think I could work with you. I think you should let me help you. I let people know that I'm there, and they try to educate them about how I can help. But at the end of the day, they have to be the ones to say, all right, I'm ready to work on this, and I think this can really help me. Yeah, and it's really crazy. We think he should be comeback player of the year. But day to day, what is your advice to stay, to stay mentally fit? Well, it's, it's again, it, these are skills that you can learn and you have to practice it daily. Like you have to practice being more mindful of your thoughts so you can learn how to deal with them. You can practice more positive self-talk and catching yourself when you're being really negative with yourself and you can – try to maybe turn it around and think about how you would talk to one of your really good friends in that moment. What would you say to him or her? You can start to really look at pressure and start to try to embrace it and try to look for opportunities to, to uh, look at it differently than something that's really fearsome, but looking at it as an opportunity. So, but you have to practice it every day, just like you practice your physical skills and the technical parts of what you do. You have to be disciplined to practice it every day. And that's what I try to do is give athletes some things that they can work on every day. A lot of athletes nowadays are practicing meditation to stay mentally strong. What do you think about that? I think it's excellent. It's really, really good. Meditation and mindfulness, I think every athlete should absolutely download one of the apps that are available and really start to practice doing that on a daily basis. Like LeBron James talks about calm and how he uses that app to help him 
get into a place that helps him deal with all the distractions and helps him quiet his mind and narrow it to the things that are most important. And uh, I think every athlete should absolutely practice some mindfulness, meditation types of things. It will absolutely help you improve your, your, your performance. And the same thing with just anyone in everyday life. The things I talk to athletes about are things that work in everyday life too. You don't even have to be an athlete to learn to improve on some of these things. And at what age do you think kids or even adults should start integrating that into their daily workout routine? Yeah, I I certainly think by middle school, you should really start to be thinking about that. Um, And uh, because, you know, before that you can do some things too, but certainly by the time you're sixth grade, 12 years old or so, you can really start to do some things to incorporate the mental part of it into your training. Um, and help you develop that discipline even from that age. And in society today, we always talk about strength and success. But what are some of the things mentally that can cause you to fail? Uh, well, mentally, I mean, there's uh, overthinking. Again, think, overthinking things that, that, are, that come natural to you. Um, when, you are over, when you are worrying too much about what you, pe- what you perceive other people's expectations are for you. So if you're worried too much about, you know, trying to live up to expectations of your friends or your parents or your coaches or your teachers, and you're worrying too much about whether you're going to do that or not, uh, if you're worrying about uh, whether people are watching you, if you're hyper aware of that or you're paying too much attention to who's watching you, then that can mess you up. Or if you're thinking too much about what happens if you make mistakes or if you fail, what are the consequences going to be of that? Those are things that can really cause you to not perform very well in those moments. And that's where the mindfulness stuff comes in, the meditation stuff can come in. You can recognize that you're doing all that stuff, and then you can kind of narrow your thoughts and remind yourself, hey, well, you're really good when you just relax and communicate with your teammates and have fun. So let's go do that. You can do that and trust that if you do that, good things are going to happen for you. But with a lot of, it takes a lot of practice, but you can learn to do that. As we mentioned in the introduction, you have already written multiple books with another one in the making. Tell us a little bit more about the books and your passion for writing. Yeah, so I, I look at writing as a way to get, get my message out to more people. Uh, I'm learning more and more that social media is a great place to do that too. But, you know, I first, uh, the first book I wrote was a, with a friend of mine, a leadership book for coaches on kind of the art of coaching. Nothing about X's and O's. So if you're a football coach or a basketball coach or a tennis coach, you could learn from that. And then from there, I wrote a team-building book for coaches. It's 101 team-building activities. So things that you can do to develop a positive culture on your team and help kids and athletes get to know each other better and work more effectively as a team. And then from there, then I wrote a, a book for parents of athletes because I think parents play a big role in whether athletes can thrive or they feel too much pressure and, and so trying to help parents play their role effectively. And then I wrote one for uh, athletes, and it's called It's a Mental Thing, and really trying to give them some very practical techniques that they can use to work on their mental game. And then I wrote a, um, a fiction for teachers, and because I, I go into a lot of schools, and uh, when I go to schools, I like to work with everybody. I like to work with the, with the athletes. I like to work with the teachers, the coaches, the parents with everyone. And so uh, that helped me do that. And my next book that's coming out 
is a leadership book written for anybody that's going into a leadership position for the first time and trying to help them be better leaders. And the one that really struck me was it's a mental thing. So if you could maybe give us one or two sentences of powerful messages, what would it be? Yeah, that confidence is not a gift. So what I mean by that is you have to be careful looking to other people, your coach, your friends, your teammates, your girlfriend, your boyfriend, uh, other people for your confidence. Because if I'm your coach and you depend on me to give you confidence, well, I can also take it away very quickly by saying one thing to you or not saying something to you that day and ignoring you. That can undermine your confidence. So confidence is not a gift. Don't look at it to other people to give it to you. That it's something that you that's that that um, that you can own and that you can take ownership of, and that you can work to really try to develop that confidence. And then the other one I would say is that pressure comes from one place, and that little that little six inch space between your ears. Pressure doesn't come from external factors. It's not the situation. It's not people. It's all comes down to how you view those situations and how you choose. To deal with all that stuff. And as you mentioned, you speak to many schools about coaching and motivation. Can you give our listeners some tips about that? Yeah, so when you're in a leadership position, the idea is to try to get people to achieve their goals and dreams and follow you to and allow you to guide them in, in order to do that. And and if you're gonna do that, you gotta get people to buy in, right? They gotta wanna do that. You can you can create a situation where they do it because they have to and it's Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. And they're very good soldiers, but their heart's not in it. See, great coaches create an environment where people uh, want to do it. They want to follow their coach. And so what you have to do is you have to, you have to challenge them. You have to hold them accountable, but you also have to uh, develop quality relationships with them. You have to let them know that you care and that you really want them to uh, achieve their goals and dreams. And it's not about you because when you do have to challenge them, and hold them accountable and make them work harder sometimes, they're going to be more likely to take that the right way because they know you're coming from a good place. You've spent the time ahead of time building what I call emotional equity with people. You're building that relationship to help them know that, boy, you really truly care about them and are, are, are trying to help them. What words of advice do you have for kids to stay mentally strong during this pandemic? Yeah, wow, that's a really good question too. You know, we we tend to uh, feel stress and get anxious when we worry about the unknown future, or we beat ourselves about something that we did in the past. And I had a really good friend recently remind me of that because I was getting I'm getting a little bit of anxious thinking about some of the unknown future and like when's this thing going to end and some of these other things. And uh, and you can't do that. You have to try to stay in the moment. And so. Uh, I think you can acknowledge that you're anxious because you're worrying about what's going to happen in the future and we don't know when it's going to end or we're worrying about how it used to be and we're thinking about that. And so what you have to do, though, is remind yourself, hey, all you can do is control what you're doing today. What are you going to do today to try to have fun today? What are you going to do today to try to get a little bit better today? What are you going to do today um, to have an impact on somebody else today? Um, because that's all we have control over. And that's all we can do. And so as much as we can try to do that, the better we're going to be. That makes so much sense. And Dr. Dale, thank you so much for joining us today. 
We enjoyed talking to you about your career and how you worked with so many up-and-coming and professional athletes. We hope you have a safe and enjoyable Thanksgiving. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me, guys. I really enjoyed it. Thank you.